Welcome to Uniquely Small Biz, a podcast where small business owners share their unique stories to inspire our listeners. Welcome back to Uniquely Small Biz by Selective Insurance, a podcast for small business owners to share their inspiring stories. I'm Carolyn McArdle, and we're looking forward to bringing you another wonderful conversation with small business owners who are as unique as their ventures. Today, I'm excited to welcome the owner of Superior Shower Doors, Mike Lawler. After many years working for others in the construction and remodeling industry, Mike decided to make the jump and go out on his own, founding Superior Shower Doors. And he's been pretty busy ever since. What makes Mike so unique? is his commitment to a more customer-oriented business that prides itself on having just what its name implies, a product that's better than what you'll find at a larger chain store. So sit back and get ready for another thoughtful episode of Uniquely Small Biz, brought to you by Selective Insurance. So, Mike, tell me how you landed in the glass industry in the first place. Was this always the plan or did it come about another way? It was definitely never the plan. I was doing various phases of construction originally. I was building houses, doing roofing, siding, things of that nature. One winter, as winter was coming in, we were finishing up a house, and my boss at the time said, listen, I'm not going to really have much work for you through the winter, so I'm going to have to lay you off. And I said, okay, well, a few minutes away was a shower door company. And I went there, I saw they were hiring, and I applied, and I got the job, and didn't really make a lot of money. He made less than I was when I was framing houses and stuff. But it was steady work, 40, 50 hours a week. I had benefits, which was the number one thing. I stuck with it and learned a lot about building shower doors. That was what I did for three years. And so installing, I saw the opportunity. I said, I know a lot of people in the trades, and I could probably get some side work selling doors, installing doors for people. Sure enough, you know, within the first year or so, once I got it under my belt, how to how to do this, I was getting a lot of side work. And then by the third year in, so I'd been at the company for six years, I was working more after work and on the weekends than I was for the job. I was working literally 80, 90 hours a week. I was working 10 hours a day for them and then going off of working all through the night and then working on Saturdays, working on Sundays. And I just looked at it. I'm like, if I can just sell a couple doors a week, I can make my mortgage, make my insurance, you know, feed my family. And so I gave my employer notice. When I left within three months, I got a bigger storage space. I got somebody to work alongside me. And within six months, I got a small little showroom and my sister-in-law at the time to answer phones for me because I was on the road with a book, taking phone calls and scheduling appointments while I was going to work in every day. I look back now at the notes and stuff I have, and it's a riot. It's really funny because they still have some customers, you know, over 20 years later that still contractors that I still work for. Yeah. That's awesome. That's when you know you're doing something very right with 20 years later after you started. And frankly, we're kind of a beginner. I mean, you had learned on the job with the company, but yeah, I was a beginner. You must have been a really good beginner if they liked you then and they still love you just as much now. I saw people in my life growing up who ran their own businesses and some of them were incredible mentors and other ones were, I use the term all the time, meatballs. (laughs) I used to say, (laughs) if this meatball can run a business, then this meatball can too, without a doubt. Just, this meatball. Uh, this meatball, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I imagine as you were a younger kid, you're, well, I say kid, but you were 26 or something years old when you made that jump. So how old were you? I was 26, 27 when I started working for the company, learning about shower doors and glass. When I left that company, I was 33. I mean, do you look back on that now? 
that you were 33 and made that decision to leave a company where you had a boss and benefits and all that to start your own company. That's a young age to make that jump. That had to be fairly nerve wracking for you. Oh, it was. It was. My wife at the time was a little nervous, but she stood behind me because she saw how hard I worked. And I said, well, I think I can do it. I knew I had the raw ability. It was just a matter of being organized. And I've always had a real hard time with organization really hard time. I always tell the joke. I'm like, if they say that organization is the key to success, I've broken mine off in the door. (laughs) I don't, (laughs) a lot of my success in the last 20 years is due to the people around me that I've hired that are really keep everything going. Did you feel like at a certain point, did you have that moment of, I made the right decision. This was the right thing to do. I'm so glad I took the leap. Within the first year. Absolutely. With the way that business shot off and I was still working like seven days a week. I would still, honestly, I would get up five, five thirty in the morning. I would load my glass. I would go off and do my jobs. And then when I got home at night, I would sit at the kitchen table or the dining room table and hand draw my orders. And I would just have a, a box next to me. Then I would fax them in. And I would do that till midnight one sometimes. And just do all my orders by hand, fax them into the glass companies, order my hardware, fax that in as well. Because remember, this is like 2003, 2004, 2005. So faxes were still a big thing then. <laughs> sure. <laughs> For those of you that don't know what a fax machine is. I had a kid today ask what a fax machine is. <laughs> 18-year-old kid just asked what a fax machine was. Boy. But, I mean, I get it, but I don't yeah, get it. It's pretty funny. <laughs> but um, Yeah. 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 So that's what I did. And, I, and it was wrote for me. And... I realized that, yeah, it was successful, but it was kind of like almost me and another guy who worked for the same company, he started his own business too at the same time, the other installer. We were the two lead installers for this company. We had to train two people a piece to take our places because we were doing so much volume of work. And we would call each other in those first couple of years to commiserate how busy we were. I mean, within a year and a half, I got a much larger showroom, took on three or four employees. I had a good amount of people working when the, from the first you know four or five years that I was in business. And he, my friend, had to fold up after three or four years because he was so busy and he didn't want to pay other people to work with him and for him. He thought he could do it all himself. And I learned earlier on from a good friend, he said, you can only do so much work with these two hands. So, you know, only so much. And if you plan on getting a lot of work done, you're going to have to have other people. You're going to have to teach them. And uh, that's what I did. I just started taking on whoever could. I taught them everything myself that I learned and went through like half of my brothers, brothers-in-law, friends, everybody was coming and working for me. It was pretty funny. Anybody that has two hands, I'm hiring. Pretty much, pretty yeah. much. And they, my two of my brothers had never picked up a level in their lives. And the one of them has now been a carpenter for 15 years. My one brother-in-law had never picked up a level or tape measure. I taught him how to install shower doors. He now leads a timber framing company for the last 10 years. And it's something that you can learn. It's just, you got to have the attitude. And the hunger for it, right? right. Like you want to be successful. Yeah. You want to make money. You want to do a good job. The thing about our line of work is great is at the end of the day, when you're done, you can see something physical that you constructed or you put up or you designed and people are very appreciative. And then you take pride in doing something like that. We've talked to a lot of people on this podcast, had a lot of guests that do trade work. And I remember one gentleman in particular, he was an electrician in New Jersey, I believe. And he said he has so much work. It's very similar to your story in the sense that 
he's turning away work. And a lot of this happened during the pandemic, after the pandemic. So for the kids that are just getting started and maybe heard from their parents, like trade work's not, you won't make any money there. It's actually quite the opposite. You've got to feel the same. I keep hearing that same story from a lot of people saying, you know, we got to push kids into the trades and trade work is looked down upon. I don't think that's the case. I think in the last three to five years, it's completely turned on its head where everybody realizes Oh my God, you can make a lot of money in the trades, electricians especially, plumbers. Oh my gosh. The disconnect that I see is the actual ability of people being able to do something physical. That's what I'm seeing is that, yeah, people realize you can make some serious money in the trades, no matter whether you're a laborer or an owner or an estimator or whatever. But getting people to actually pick something up and do it with their hands has become further and further away from common. It's just not something that most people are doing anymore. And that's where there's a big disconnect. I myself, I had 16 employees a year and a half ago. I'm down now to 14 employees. And I could probably use in our busy times, 18 to 20. And we have jobs coming up that are signed through 2024, 2025 that I'm going to need to take on a bunch of people. But teaching people a trade that involves using your hands, your back, your legs, and your head, because we do a lot of math, is becoming harder and harder. And I'm finding it's easier to hire older people that have been doing this for a while than it is to hire younger people. The hunger isn't there. Is it the younger people? They just don't want to use their hands. They don't want to learn the math. They just, they want it to be easier. I don't like to sound like an old, you know, grump, but yet it's very, I, I have really talented younger guy in here working, doing all of our drawings and stuff now. And he's definitely also learned how to install when he first started. And he had a background with doing signage and things of that nature. And he stands out because I don't find a lot of people like him. He's fantastic, but you don't find a lot of people like that. Definitely there's a disconnect going on with education and with labor and with, with a lot of things. Times have changed. Times have really changed. Like I started working when I was 12. I had a paper route and did that for two years. And then when I was 14, I worked in the kitchen, washing dishes, prepping food, and eventually cooking. I did that for, gosh, four or five years. But I liked it. I liked to work. There was a community. There was people that you hung out with all the time. While the work itself could be taxing and boring and long, just the community and you made money at the end of the day too, you know, not a lot, but <laughs> at that time in the eighties, you didn't. Well, and there's something about getting that paycheck for your paper route or, you know, I was a lifeguard growing up. That was the job that kids did here in California. You know, getting that paycheck, you just feel like I am making money, you know, it, there's something about that. I kind of feel that as a parent too, it's tough to straddle that line of letting your kids figure out things for themselves and then helping them along the way. And I see with my own parents, they definitely helped me as much as they could. But at the same time, I had a lot of stuff that I had to really figure out for myself and a lot of money I had to make myself. Did I read that you were a musician or are a musician? I actually went to school in California. You did? Where'd you <laughs> yeah. go to school? I moved out to Los Angeles when I was 19. I went to Musicians Institute at no the kidding. time. No, 1989. Yep. It was a one-year school at the time. So I did the full year there. I loved it out there. I had a great time. Is there anything that you learned from your time as a musician that you would apply to your trade now? Any skills, any correlation there? It's like anything else. If you do something long enough, you get better at it. The more I played guitar, the better at it I got. And the more I worked in my trade, the better at it that I got. And when you like your results, you keep doing it. Could you ever see yourself going back to music full time? Well, when I was working for that company, I won a national guitar competition. That was right when I was starting to install for them. And my boss at the time took me aside and said, I guess you're going to be leaving us, right? You know, because you're opening up for Stone Temple Pilots. You're doing all this stuff. You know, you're playing all these gigs. And 
said, no, I got a wife and kid. I still got to stay here and grind it out and, and work. There's been lots of times where I've just wanted to do that, but I've always had a family. I've always had kids, always had somebody to support. And then once you get the whole thing of having an employee base in a business, you realize that that's your family now too, and you have to support them too. You have to get work for them. you know. And yeah, it would be great to just say, I'm just going to go tour Europe for the next three months or whatever. I'm going to go play here, play there. I just haven't been led in that direction. And the upside is after having a business for as long as I have successfully, I can set my schedule and I can take time aside. Just like last week, we had to go do a benefit show for a friend of mine in Las Vegas who passed away. Well, I'm taking off for four days, going there. I'm going to go play my show, play with these guys, and then come back a few days later. If I had a regular nine-to-five job, I wouldn't be able to do these things of that nature. So true. But you've earned this. You've worked so hard to get to this. And now you're sort of reaping the rewards, right, of all the hard work you've done. Correct. That's yeah. the only way I can look at it, make myself feel good about it. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. But see you guys in five days. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm exactly. going to Vegas. Yeah. So if I'm a young kid and I'm just getting started and I want to be an entrepreneur and I want to work in the trade industry, a skilled trade industry, what advice would you give me if I'm just starting out? There's no shortcuts. If you want to be successful, here's the one thing I can guarantee with almost anybody in the trade industry. If you go out there and you learn your trade the best you possibly can, and you know the ins and outs of it, and you grind away as they say at it, you will be successful. There's no two ways about it. And if you find a trade that you're not, it's not coming to you, there's always plenty more. I actually apprenticed with a plumber for six months years ago before I got into glass. And I realized quickly in, in the first few months, I'm like, this isn't for me, but I needed the money. I liked the guy I was working for and I still stuck with it, but it was not for me. One day we had my brother come in to help us with a bigger job and my brother took to it like a fish in water. And to this day, he's a plumber. He took over for me at that job and learned from this guy, Dan, worked for him for years. And he's been a plumber longer than I've been working with glass. That was meant to be for sure. He did you a favor because you're doing great. <laughs> so it worked out for both of you. And he's fantastic. He's a fantastic plumber. But you have to have a passion for working with your hands, passion with working with people and others. You have to realize that it's not really an eight-hour-a-day job. If you can realize that you have to make those sacrifices early on, you will be successful. And you could even be successful not necessarily even working for yourself, but for other people too. But the greatest success will definitely come if you're uh, working for yourself and you stick with it. There's just so many opportunities in the trade. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. When it comes to the customer service experience, how do you guys differentiate yourselves from, let's say, the big box stores? There's got to be a difference. Well, that was part of the reason why I actually started my business, too, is I saw with my own company that I worked for, they'd gotten pretty big. And there was definitely a disconnect between the company and the customer, where there was a miscommunications a lot of times between the beginning and the end. And I realized that being in a smaller business, you're able to have a much more direct communication with the customer. We also can do more custom things. We have like the local Home Depot and Lowe's will actually refer us for custom jobs when people go in there looking for shower doors. They're like, this is a kind of crazy, give Superior a call. And it's just being flexible, I think, is one of the greatest assets to to working through our company. Very flexible. Do you need to even market? How do you market yourselves? When I first started out, I spent all my money on advertising. I spent a lot of money on advertising. Like at the time there was the yellow pages and yellow book and I would get the cover, like the back cover, inside, whatever I could afford. Wow. You spent the big bucks, Mike. I spent a lot of money, way more than I was making. I was spending, but I put it in the yellow pages, yellow book, even a billboard. I did a billboard for a year. I did everything I possibly could. I went to plumbing supply outlets, tile places, gave out my cards. 
told them, if you don't buy a door from me, I'll install the doors you have. I'll store my competitors' doors, whatever. I'll do it. And it paid off because the only advertising I have now is I have our website, I have Facebook, I have Instagram. Social media is really right now the best way to do it. And if you even have to pay because they have the paid ads and stuff, you do that too as well. It's pretty affordable too. It's not that bad. And it's yeah. it's something that I really haven't put my whole energies into recently uh, other than trying to revamp our website. But it's definitely important that you advertise because the more you advertise, the more you get your name out, the more connections and networking you make, the more business you're going to have. I was just wondering if you feel like because you're so busy that you're needing to hire people to do jobs for you, it's weird to ask a business owner if you need to advertise, but do you at this point? There have been certain times, recent times, where the economy is definitely pretty strange and you see that happening. And I have noticed residentially there are lulls this year. Like I said, this is our 20th year in business. However, this year I've had certain slower times than I've had in past years. And there's always been this talk for the last 10 years of, yeah, we're going to hit that recession anytime now. Because after that 2008, 2009 scare, that was a really tumultuous time for me. That was a time where I was positive I was going out of business. I went down 30% in sales. Boom. And stayed at that number for three years. I finally just hit a million dollars in sales then. I've been in business five years. Finally hit a million sales. And all of a sudden, it was like the bottom dropped out. It was scary. It was super scary. It was a horribly trying time for only being in business five years. And somehow made it work, held on to the accounts I had and the people I had, didn't fire anybody. And then as of 2012, every year since 2012, we've seen an increase in sales every year. I haven't gone down since then. Way to hang in there. That's huge. This past year, December through this spring, I had similar feelings going on. On the commercial end of things, thankfully, that I started doing about eight years ago, seven years ago, I started getting all this commercial business that like I have stuff locked up, like I said earlier, for jobs through 2024 to 25. Contracts that are signed are good to go. And other stuff to where it's a really hard juxtaposition to juggle all that to make it all happen when your residential business is. Is commercial for you, would that be, I'm just thinking like shower doors commercially, is that gyms, hotels? Yeah, mainly for us, it's apartments. It's rental apartments. Jersey City, Harrison, Newark, they're pretty big cities by our standards where we are. And we're doing 300, 400, 500 shower doors in one building. And the contract I signed recently, we're doing 1,700 shower doors. We're not even starting until next year, but we'll be on that job for a good year and a half. Good for you. How does that feel when you lock in a contract like that as a, a business owner, when you look back to that time when you thought, man, I might need to close my doors and let everybody go? Like, how's that feel when you sign that contract? It's a very, the best way to put it, very, I don't want to say trepidation. I get it's just that I'll believe it when I see the first deposit check come in. And then I'll really believe it when the job's done and we get a retainage. I don't take it for granted. I've seen businesses go under overnight and you had no idea. So cautiously, very cautiously, I approach it. Yes, it's a great feeling. And it's kind of that backup feeling like, ah, you know, we got this coming down down the pipe later on. But at the same time, I won't lay down and go to sleep. You know what I mean? I'm still sleeping with one eye open. Exactly. It's too good to be true feeling. The sword of Damocles. Is that, that yeah, it? Yeah. yeah. It's a sword hanging over with a horse hair. It's, <laughs> I'll believe it when I see it. What's next for you guys? What do you think? I mean, aside from installing 1,700 <laughs> shower doors. We do storefront as well. Like we'll do business entrances, storefront and glass railing. We've done a few small glass railing jobs, but we just got our first delivery this week of a bunch of 
custom made glass shoe and we're getting a delivery of the glass in two weeks. And we're doing a building down in Weehawk and it's right on the Hudson, seven stories of glass railing. And I've never, ever done a job nearly that size with railing. So it's our probably first you know venture into that. So another learning experience. A lot of these jobs are learning experiences. <laughs> As you move into this, it seems like you're kind of shifting into the commercial side of things. Do you feel like, will you ever abandon the residential side? Commercial is obviously a bigger beast. No, as long as I'm running the business now, that's our bread and butter. That's how we started. We still have a showroom here. A new, we, we moved into a new spot this year and we're working on still finishing the showroom, but we still have customers in on a daily basis. Come into our showroom, we can meet them face to face. They can look at stuff. They can see some doors. We can talk about what they want. To me, that's one of the greatest things about having the business is just a personal thing going on. We're not just some faceless entity you know, behind a keyboard or something like that. So having a point of sale, having a showroom, having people in my employee who like to meet with the customers and do that kind of thing, that's just a crucial part of our business. And I don't see, see us abandoning it for, not just for sentimental value, but because it's a valuable part of the business. Yeah. And it's also what got you started. It's sort of like you have a loyalty to that side of the business. That's what, absolutely. you know, absolutely. helped pay your bills for many, many, many years and got you to where you are now. Yeah. So absolutely. We're happy for you. Congratulations on all your success. Thank you. Keep going. We're trying. We're trying. <laughs> Joining me now to talk all about the insurance considerations for small business owners who are involved in contract work is Katie Simmons, the business segment manager for Contractors SBU at Selective Insurance. Katie, welcome to the show. I want to start by asking you what considerations a small business like Mike's should consider in terms of insurance as it takes on more commercial projects. As a contractor takes on larger projects, oftentimes you're met with general contractors that are a little bit more sophisticated. And the more sophisticated the general contractor, the more they want to push down liability, right? So the general contractor does not want to be responsible for something that their subcontractor is at fault for. The problem with that, it's all well and good unless the contract reads that the subcontractor needs to take on more than that liability and more than that responsibility. So as you take on larger projects and you're working on larger, more complex projects, it's really important for subcontractors to actually be reading their contracts through, to have an attorney work with them, to make sure that they're not taking on any more liability than they intend to. And also, as you're working on larger projects, the subcontractor, so say Mike, for example, he might not have enough employees to finish that job. So he might also take on some subcontractors. So in that case, he wants to make sure that he's protected in case that subcontractor causes damage or a claim. So to have the risk transfer in place between him and the subcontractor is also extremely important. Is there any added risk for a contractor moving into a space where there's a learning curve? Because there's got to be some sort of learning curve there. Yeah. I mean, I think that no matter what, there's always a learning curve. There's always a risk for taking on a new project or something that you're not entirely comfortable with. But that's how businesses grow. We expect that to happen. So it's not you know, as an insurance carrier, we look at it where, okay, if he's taking on a larger project, he might be doing something that he hasn't really done before, but it's not exactly outside the purview of his expertise, right? 
So when we look at it, that's a risk that we're willing to take on. If a contractor, and this happens more often than you think, if a contractor says, hey, let's say a glass glazer says, hey, I'm now going to do carpentry or electrical work or concrete work, then we're getting into something that is really outside of their expertise. And then they really should talk to their agent. Is your insurance company okay with this? Are they going to get off the account? Things like that. Like you want to make sure taking on new projects, taking on new work is part and partial to owning a business. But as long as it's within the per, like your scope of expertise, it's totally expected. Yeah, totally different from moving from a contractor to a subcontractor role in the same industry. You're like totally changing it up if you go the other route. So that makes sense. Exactly. Mike talked about his company growing steadily over the course of several years. So from an insurance perspective, what are the benefits of steady growth versus rapid growth, especially in the world of a contractor? So I think everyone wants rapid growth for everything because that's how we're built. But at the end of the day, for a contractor to have steady growth, it's so important. You don't make as many mistakes. The mistakes that you do make, you correct them and learn from them and don't do them again. And I feel that your reputation as a dependable, good quality contractor gets out there in the community because you're not over-promising and underperforming. And that's really, if you're growing too fast, and Mike mentioned this where his friend was in business for a few years, didn't really have a clear vision of growth and where he wanted to go, didn't want to hire anybody else. He wanted to do the work himself. And then it ends up being a problem for him because he couldn't handle that work. And I mean, everything's social media based now. If you get a couple bad reviews, people look at that. People, I know I do. I look at, you know, what are the two-star reviews? What are the three-star reviews? The five-star reviews are great, but I want to know what went wrong. And you get a few of those and they can be detrimental to your business. So the slower the growth, the steadier the growth the better. You're not going to be making as many mistakes and you're not going to be forced into hiring employees that don't know what they're doing or subcontractors that don't know what they're doing. Yeah. It's interesting that you brought up social media because I always go automatically with social media, although I enjoy it as a non-young person. I always think young people. And I remember Mike was talking about in our conversation how it's been challenging for him to find those young employees who actually want to work with their hands, right? So what are some of the biggest challenges in your eyes, at least when it comes to attracting and hiring talent in the trades? So I think there's a misconception. And Mike mentions the conversation has changed as far as trades go. You know, you'll see these posts on LinkedIn saying, let's normalize vocational school. Let's normalize not making people feel bad for not going to college. And I myself have a son who he's not going to college. He wants to fix cars. That's all he wants to do. And I feel that The biggest challenge is that young people and teenagers think that there's no money in it and there's nowhere to go once you get there. And it couldn't be further from the truth. Mike said something that was very telling, though, that he doesn't feel that the young people really want to work with their hands. And I feel that the faster we can get these kids actually looking and working with their hands, the better they're going to be. So I feel that, you know, if we can get these trades introduced in high school, and give them that opportunity to actually go visit a construction site, see what they're doing. And I know a couple of the local colleges here in North Carolina are doing just that. In high schools, they're saying, hey, let's get these kids out there to see and experience it. And I think that's really the shift that we have to have 
It can't be just math and science and English. There's other things out there that will pique someone's interest and really get them to be engaged and excited to go to work. And I think that's where it starts. The conversation has to change to, hey, you have to go to college. That's what you have to do because we all went. To, there's a lot of stuff to do out there and there's a lot of opportunity. This infrastructure bill, we all know that our infrastructure is failing. It needs to be replaced. It needs to be repaired. And we need new infrastructure for all the development that's going on. There's so much opportunity for growth, and we just need to keep that conversation going. Yeah, and it's so interesting you hear Mike talking about, and we've talked to other guests on this podcast who have talked about there is so much work. They're actually having to pass some of that work off to what they used to consider competitors, but are now friends in the industry. Just, I have a buddy who's reputable. I can't do this job, but I'm going to pass it off to them. And I mean, they say there's so much work, they can't handle it. So if you're a young kid looking to not go to college to get into the trades, like you said, it's never been a better time. Absolutely. So I know at Selective, you guys have a very deep understanding and expertise when it comes to contractors. So if you could give me one piece of advice for a small business owner in the contracting space, what do you think that piece of advice would be? I think the biggest thing, and this is going to sound like I live in a perfect world, but hire the right people. It's really invest in your people, invest in the training, hire the right people, get them the people that want to work. And if you have the right people that surround your company, you will be successful if you invest in them and their training and their education because contractors need, there's so much technology that is coming out for contractors. They're using drones for job site safety. There's water detection for contracting sites. Technology is helping in so many ways as far as risk management goes, and you want to keep up on all that technology and train your people to use it because it's not just the 3D printing that's going on with homes right now is unbelievable. And that the more you keep up on technology, the more you can expand your company and grow, uh, you know, with the changing time. So that would be my, my biggest piece of advice for contractors. Katie, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. It was a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Uniquely Small Biz with the owner of Superior Shower Doors, Mike Lawler, and Selective's Katie Simmons. For more information on the incredible work being done by Mike and his team, check out Superior Shower Doors' website at superioryourshowerdoors.com. And if you've enjoyed listening to the podcast, be sure to subscribe and tune in next month for more inspiring stories from real small business owners. Oh, and if you ever find yourself in Sussex County, New Jersey, check out one of Mike Lawler's performances. You can find him on Facebook by searching for Mike Lawler Guitarist.